kind of a summary of Ephesians right there for us. Start every, uh, every Sunday. We're, we're in day two of our series in the book of Ephesians, Identity, Belonging, and Calling. And I hope that you have been reading and praying through and studying the book of Ephesians, especially the first 14 verses. And this morning we're going to tackle a, a passage that is, um, I don't want to say controversial, other, uh, outside of just, I think, misunderstood and uh, we'll see if maybe you agree with me at the end of, of the message today. Um, perfectionism can affect people of all ages and lifestyles, but is increasingly prevalent among students. Earlier this year, research involving 40,000 students at universities in the UK, the US, and Canada found a 33% increase since 1989 in those who feel they must display perfection to secure approval. The report's lead author Thomas Curran of the University of Bath fears a hidden epidemic of perfectionism. Now, I saw this in my own son as he wanted to end his college career with a 4.0, to which I said, C's get degrees. It's true. And I think you're putting unnecessary pressure on yourself to get everything exactly right. And I, I actually thanked the Lord the first day that he got an A- minus in one of his classes because from that moment on, I knew that he wasn't going to be a worse student, but the pressure would now be off. Can't get that 4-0 anymore. Let's, let's, uh, let's learn. Um, and, and I think sometimes we all feel that way. Perfectionism is a personality trait rather than a mental health condition. There is no World Health Organization diagnosis code for perfectionism. And it is not listed in the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It can fly under the radar and masquerade as the pursuit of high standards, yet it overlaps with a plethora of disorders from eating to obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, body dysmorphia, depression, and suicide. As one struggling perfectionist said, my brain feels like it's been punched. Self-ability, perfectionism, relying on one's self. The idea that in order to, to have value or to be accepted, we have to be perfect or close to perfect in all of the things that we do, and this can even translate into our spiritual life as Christians. Um, the lack of grace can also hurt us in this area. Uh, when I went to get my driver's license re renewed, our local motor vehicle bureau was packed. I mean, the, the, have, you've been there, right? On, at a busy time, the line was going so slow. Finally, I get to the front and the lady wants to snap your picture, right? And I said to her, I said, you know, um, that line was so long and it took me so long to get here. I look pretty grouchy in my picture. To which she returned to me and replied, you know, David, when you get pulled over by that officer, you're going to have that same look on your face. <laughs> so that didn't actually happen to me. I need to be full disclosure there. But uh, I can see certainly where something like that would, would happen. I mean, attitude can be everything, can't it? In, from when we get up in the morning till we get to the end of our day. And, and did you hear about the banker who was recently arrested for embezzling $100,000 to pay for his daughter's college education? As the policeman, who also had a daughter in college, was leading him away in handcuffs, he said to the banker, I have just one question for you. Where were you going to get the rest of the money? <laughs> right? 
college educations are expensive these days. I mean, there are so many things in this world that can discourage us. Every day. It doesn't have to be anything big. It can be something small. And if we rely on our own thinking and our own wisdom and our own way of doing things and our own abilities to find our identity, our significance, and our purpose, we will, we will fall short every time. Every time we will fall short. And I mean, I do this myself. I rely on myself. I rely on my own wisdom. I, I rely on my own thinking for my identity and calling and sense of belonging. It, I think it, in some ways it comes from having a, a competitive spirit. I always want to be better than the next guy. And, uh, you know, it causes me to struggle. I, I try to do things sometimes that I'm incapable of doing. And it's discouraging. I try to prove myself in areas that, that there's just no way that I can prove myself or justify myself, especially as it relates to my spiritual life and my spiritual journey. I mean, I don't like to be told I can't do something. Seriously, if there's a YouTube video about it, I think I can do it. Now, I may stop short of brain surgery, but give me a machine or a car or a construction project, and I think... I can do it. And sometimes that doesn't turn out so well. And that can happen in my own life and, and in areas of leadership and decisions I make as well, relying on my own strength and abilities. And I am so thankful for the reminders that God gives me that, that, that doesn't just point out the fact that, yes, David, you failed. <laughs> you did not succeed in this. But the fact that... that I'm here for you, and, and I am your God, and you are my child, and I have something amazing for you. To, to God, God uh, gives me constant reminders to turn my attention back to him, to rest in him. And today's passage, I think, is a strong foundation for, for that viewpoint, um, for this attitude, for a strong foundation. Now, let me read, uh, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, if you haven't already. The book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses, or I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 14. Now, as you look that up, I want to point something out. In the original Greek of, of this particular passage, these 12 verses, 3 through 14, there is no punctuation. When, when, when Paul, whether he dictated it to somebody and they were writing it down for him because he was in chains, though he was under house arrest, he could have been writing this. He got on such a run on, on the goodness of God and, and the truths here, there is no punctuation in these, these 12 verses. It is a, a English teacher's nightmare. One big long run on sentence, and, and I can just imagine how Paul just became overwhelmed by, by what God was having him record. And I'm going to start in verse 3 here. Follow along with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. 
Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, we could go weeks, honestly, on these 12 verses right here. And, and I, I, I want to do my best this morning um, and, and I want to first focus on verse 3. Look at verse 3 there. Paul tells us that we who are in Christ Jesus are blessed by God in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And this is encouraging to me. If you are here today and you know, as the Bible says we can know, that you are saved, that your name has been written in the book of life, that you have been adopted in to the family of God, Paul says right here that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, oftentimes when we talk in our daily lives, we say, man, what a blessing. You know, God, uh, we had this need or this bill and, and $200 appeared in our mailbox and it, and it covered that bill. That was such a blessing. Or I talk about the fact that our children are a blessing. Our grandson is a blessing. You know, we talk about things all day long as being blessings. And sometimes I think we get ultra-focused on stuff or events and we fail to see the deeper blessings that we have been given as Christ followers. And Paul describes it right here. If, if that's your tendency, my prayer is that, that today's message will help draw you into a deeper understanding of the blessings that you have in your life today that you may not see or notice or recognize or maybe even be thankful for. Paul says that we are blessed in the heavenly realm by every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's my first observation this morning, that, that we have, have been given every spiritual blessing and that they come from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's another part of this, the, these 12 verses. Paul hits every, every one of those. Uh, all three members of the Trinity have a part of these 12 verses. Verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father. Jesus Christ is mentioned in almost every verse. I mean, Jesus is obviously the central uh, person of the book of Ephesians. And then in verse 13, it says that we were marked in him with a seal, the promise Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing. Add that to your meditation this week. Think about how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is a part of your everyday life. Every spiritual blessing. What is, what is covered in every? Everything, right? I mean, it doesn't say a few spiritual blessings or here's a list of six. Um, this is, to me, it, it's... It's exhaustive when it comes to spiritual blessings, though Paul does mention some specific ones, and we're going to look at those here in a second. But as a believer, as a Christ follower, 
No one is shortchanged on spiritual blessings. Every believer is given every spiritual blessing. I'm not talking about gifts. Paul is talking about blessings. So what are these blessings? Well, the word for spiritual here is pneumatikos, and, and that's the Greek word, and it's always used as a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is doing the work of these blessings in our life, and it's not necessarily a direct contrast to immaterial versus material things. You know, I know I started out talking about how we often refer to blessings as the material things. Um, that, you know, as I further explain this, that we're not going to the immaterial things per se, um, but, but to the divine origin of the blessings. All too often, um, these, these blessings from God will ultimately help us in our spirits, our minds, our bodies, our daily life. And all too often, we ask God for things that we already have. <laughs> have you ever asked God for more love? Have you asked God for more peace or more happiness? Have you ever asked God for more strength? I mean, I, I know I do. And, and this is a tweak in my thinking this week. Because I ask for those things, even though God's word says things like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't you think if God's love has been poured out onto us that, that, he has, that we have his love? Why would I need to ask for more of God's love when he's already poured it out on me? Um, or this verse right here in uh, John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace, this is Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, conditionally. No, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because I have given you peace. I've given it to you. Or this verse here in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe, I don't want to say this is a spiritual pride or spiritual arrogance, but we need to, when we're faced with something, we need to say, you know what, God's given me the strength. God has given me the strength, and, and I can do this. Now, to be fair, and we've had some of these conversations in our staff meeting, you know, I, I always notice when somebody prays that God would be with them. Because I take a step back and I go, whoa, he's already said that he will be with us to the end of the age. We don't have to ask him to be with us. We're asking him to do something that he already does. But when we say that, the pushback comes from some of the staff, and I won't mention who it is, my wife. Oops. Um, is the idea that when we say that, really what we're trying to do is to remind ourselves of this truth. So when we ask and we pray for God for strength, it's not that, that, us, that, that he's relying on us to ask him to give us that strength. He's already said, I give it to you. It's more for us to recognize that my strength comes from him. Okay, now I, I just, 
I think that's, again, I think that's a tweak in our attitude. We need to recognize that God has given us these things. That they're in our life as a Christ follower. We don't have to ask for them. It would be like our kids, well, this isn't as true when they get older. It's like our kids coming to us when we're six and saying, are you going to feed me lunch? Well, yes, I'm your parent. Of course I'm going to feed you lunch. It's on the schedule. It's what I do. Now, when they're in college and they ask those questions, there can be a little bit of a question whether that's going to happen or not. But I'm your parent. I love you. Of course I'm going to do this. You don't even have to ask. Peter describes it even better, I think, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is what he says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have everything that we need. It reminds me of another, of another passage that people often misquote where it says that God will not tempt us beyond what we can bear. He's talking about temptation in the context of that, not life in general, because we know that the disciples, they lost their lives because of what they believed in. Do you think they experienced more than they could bear? I would say absolutely yes, they did. What that verse says is that we have been given all we need to look at this temptation in the face and say, uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. We've been given that. And I think it's time to live our life that way. Those who are in Christ Jesus have been given every spiritual blessing. Last week we talked about being spiritually malnourished. We need to tap into that. We need to, to partake of that that God has given us and offers it. Again, I, I, as Paul says here, this is all due to the fact that we have been chosen by God. He's the one that does it. He's the one that gives us the, the salvation. It's him, not, not any justifying of ourselves that we could ever attempt to do. That does not work. In fact, Paul says, and this, is, this just blows my mind, we were chosen for these blessings even before creation. Think about that. Think about that. Ponder that truth this week. If you are in Christ Jesus, before God even created the universe, he not only knew you, but he had chosen you. Wow. Okay, before we get into that part of this uh, passage, let's uh, first observe these spiritual blessings. Okay, if you're a Bible circler and you have your pencil in hand or pen in hand or you're an underliner, get ready. Um, if you're not, you can write these in your notes, or you can do both. Um, start looking in verse 4. For he, God the Father, chose us, that's us, in him, Jesus Christ, before the creation of the world, and, and now he starts getting into the spiritual blessing. Circle this, to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's a spiritual blessing. He has blessed us with the fact that we are holy and blameless in his sight. As believers, we have been given this. In love, it says, he predestined, which means determined beforehand or decided beforehand, us for what? Another spiritual blessing. Adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Adoption to sonship. 
and daughtership. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of, circle this, his glorious grace, another blessing that we receive, his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And something else that I did as I studied this was I I highlighted in red every reference to Jesus Christ. And there's 12 times Paul in these 12 verses references in Christ, through Christ, through him, in the one. In him, verse 7, we have, circle this, redemption through his blood. That's another spiritual blessing. in accordance with the riches of, and I call this a spiritual blessing to God's grace that he lavished on us. Lavished, slathered. That's, that last song we sang calls it reckless. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery. Circle that. Made known to us the mystery. You see, before Paul and before God sought to actually explain this mystery of salvation, it was in fact that. It was a mystery. Until, until it was, the time was right and God let everybody in on this mystery of salvation, they didn't know exactly how it was going to happen and how they would come by it. Um, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which included Gentiles unto salvation, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So my um, six six spiritual blessings in my list. There might be others in other uh, pastors' lists, but uh, again, just to, to... to go through those, you can see them up there. To be holy and blameless in his sight. When God looks at us as one who is a Christ follower, who has been saved by grace, God looks through glasses of Jesus' blood and sees us as blameless. What a gift. All of us who are in Christ Jesus. Adopted sons and daughters, you know, We've talked about adoption before, but with full rights of a naturally born child. All rights, heirs to the kingdom, and all that comes with that. We have received his glorious grace. What what an amazing gift that is. When you screw up and you do something wrong, or you do a a disobedient act, and, and and, and Satan is saying, oh, you're just a loser. You're terrible. See, God shouldn't have saved you in the first place. You need to know that you have been given a, a spiritual gift, a spiritual blessing, and that includes receiving the glorious grace of God. Redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins and to know the mystery. It's not a mystery anymore. We know that for all people, salvation is in Jesus Christ. It's a mystery that a lot of people that uh, lived before Jesus didn't know exactly how that was going to work. And God, in his time, when he chose to, gave the answer to the mystery. Six blessings in our lives. 
And if we only had these six blessings, forsook all of the material blessings that we ever get in life, that would be enough. I know part of us thinks, yeah, but what about, what about the water skiing I want to do this afternoon and that boat and, and all of those things? Um, that, that, really, that, really fu- that really fulfills me. It gives me pleasure. It doesn't fulfill you. Um, you know, Dave Ramsey says, you, can, you can't buy happiness, which is kind of what we think in our culture. Sometimes we think, well, if I just had these things, I'd be happy. No, Dave Ramsey says, you can buy fun, but you can't ultimately buy happiness. And we need to recognize that, that if we only had these spiritual gifts, these blessings, which God has given us, that would be enough. We need to fight that in our spirits, that that's enough. That I don't need, I, I can have these other things, but, but I need to make sure the priorities are, are in, in the right place. Every spiritual blessing, let's meditate on that this week and see, and see what happens. Now I want to turn to, to two doctrines that have been the source of much debate. Um, some would even possibly say the gnashing of teeth for centuries. I mean for centuries. There are other things in, in uh, biblical studies that are debated as well, but, th- but this is pretty high on the list. Um, and I want to say this morning that, that it doesn't have to be a source of anxiety. It, it does not have to be a source of division, which it can often be. I had a friend early on in, in, uh, in my youth pastor ministry, and, and we had this ongoing debate, and finally it distilled down to a meeting with me and him and another, another youth pastor at my brother's house in Fort Collins, because that was halfway. And at the end of the conversation, I still didn't agree with them what they were trying to say, and he essentially said, one day you will understand this, and, then when, you, and when you do, we can talk again. And I thought, wow, I didn't see that coming. And that's too bad. I, I don't think that, it, it, for whatever reason, it, it, it can raise our, I don't know, desire to be right. Okay? Um, but what, what, before I begin this, what I want to again point out and that we need to hold in awe is the fact that we are talking about the actions of a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, eternal, forever-have-lived God. There are obviously going to be things that he doesn't completely and totally explain to us. Where we have to step back and go... In fact, my, my brother Dennis, if any of you know who J.I. Packard is, he wrote uh, the book Loving God and a couple other ones. Deep thinker, theologian. I have to have a dictionary when I read some of his stuff. My brother was sitting across from his desk in Vancouver, British Columbia, and he asked him a question in regards to what we're going to talk about here. And, and a brilliant thinker, theologian, who lives his life studying and praying and sorting through this stuff, leaned back in his chair, that's how my brother describes it, takes off his glasses, puts them on the end of his chin, and says, it's just a mystery. And you know what I want to say this morning? That's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not 
being able to put what I'm going to talk about here in the next few minutes in a box and say, this is exactly what it is. Okay? This is how Paul puts it. Look at verse 4. For he, God the Father, chose us, that's those who are in Christ Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he, and here's one of those words, predestined, he decided beforehand, us, those of us who are in Christ, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. This doctrine, which is explained here, is called the doctrine of election. Okay, the doctrine of election. And election refers to the fact that God chooses or elects to do everything that he does in whatever way he best fits, and when he acts, he does it so only because he willfully and independently chooses to act and according to his own nature, predetermined plan, and good pleasure, he decides to do whatever he wants and whatever he desires. And one of those things is that even before you and I were born, he said, you will be saved. You will be adopted into my kingdom. You, I elect you. Okay? Now, as we think about that, that, that brings all sorts of, but, 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 but what about, but that doesn't, okay? It doesn't seem fair. It's like, well, then where's my responsibility in this, right? I mean, then do I really have a choice in this? Or is, is God just going to do whatever he wants and, and whatever's going to happen, happens? And so why do we even... Honestly, why are we sending Manon to Africa? Because if, if God has, even before the creation of the world, elected all people who are going to be saved to be saved, then they're going to be. Why would we need to sacrifice and risk our life? The difficulty here is that we're trying to understand our infinite creator with our finite minds, okay? It's not an excuse. It's the truth. It is impossible for us to completely understand God and how he works in life. Okay, then Paul ends the 12-verse run-on sentence with this, okay? And you, this is verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, that indicates to me volitional action on my part. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This one touches on what I, I couldn't, I don't know that it's an actual doctrine. There are other ways to describe it, but I call it this the doctrine of faith or the doctrine of free will. And, and again, it's, it's, it's a general subject, it's a general title because the subject of faith is much deeper than kind of what I'm, I'm presenting here this morning. Um, but for our purposes this morning, it's the idea behind the fact that we make a decision. that we make a decision, that we believe. Paul says, when you believed, when you made a decision, and that juxtaposition is, is between these two ideas, because if you're like me, I'm thinking, 
how can it be both? How is it even possible? Science used to hold to the theory that, sometimes, that something was either a particle or a wave. Okay, just talking about nature. It can't be both. It's either one or the other. And as I researched that this week and this morning, I found that they've changed their mind, that it actually can be both, and light is, is the subject of that, that discovery. It's... Um, they've come up with a name for it. Um, they hold to this idea of wave-particle duality. That's how they are describing it now. Okay, it, and it is now a fundamental tenet of the theory of quantum mechanics. And depending on which type of experiment is used, light or any other type of particle will behave like a particle or like a wave. But so far, okay, this is great, light... Is, is both. They're not sure how, and they have never, ever observed both at the same time. That gives me goosebumps right there, because it can't be explained. It is two truths that run parallel with each other that, that science so far hasn't been able to harmonize. They can't figure it. They can't observe them both at the same time. But yet, light exhibits this. And this is how I view election and free will. Okay? And, and trying to get them to harmonize is impossible, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, in fact, Paul is closely mirroring the same teaching of Jesus when he was walking on the earth. And, and it's found in John chapter 3 when he has this conversation with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him in the middle of the night and says, you know, we've been told that you're this, this, and this. Um, and Jesus uh, gives him instruction. And, and I want to finish this morning by reading a portion from a message that was sent to me this week by John MacArthur. And he preached this message on February 17th, 2013. And he explains it as good as I ever could. And he's preaching on John 3, 1 through um, the end of that chapter, actually. And I put the web address in your notes in case you want to go listen to the, to the message in its entirety. So this is it. Okay? This is Jesus' teaching in, in about the same subject that we just talked about. Election and free will. Or personal responsibility. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a non-believer. He's talking to a man who is in a defective, heretical, apostate religion. Jesus came. It's changed now. It's different. He is desiring to bring that man, Nicodemus, to a knowledge of the truth. And consequently, he says to him three times in this conversation, down through verse 11, truly, truly, which is a way of saying, in contrast to all the error that fills your mind, error which you have learned and then taught as the teacher in Israel, I want to tell you the truth. And the first truth I want you to understand is that salvation is a divine work that God does from heaven down that doesn't depend on you. 
God does it. It's absolutely crystal clear in verses 1 to 10 of John chapter 3. And as we have seen in the first, uh, four, uh, the first few verses in the book of Ephesians. And then without explanation, without any transition, our Lord Jesus Christ takes the next part of the conversation, turns it into a monologue, and he says this. Anyone can be saved who believes. And explains that in these verses. Anyone can be saved who believes. So on the one hand, you have the doctrine of divine sovereignty. And on the other hand, you have the doctrine of divine faith, human belief, or human responsibility. There are warnings that I just read you. If you don't believe, you'll be condemned. If you don't believe, you'll be judged. Which means that if you don't believe, you're responsible for your unbelief. You will be held guilty and you will be punished. This is human responsibility. Consequently, you need to believe. You need to believe. And in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you will not perish. You will have everlasting life. You will be given... Spiritual blessings, every one of them. So here is human responsibility, both negatively and positively. You will bear the full weight of judgment if you refuse to believe. On the other hand, if you will believe, eternal life waits for you no matter who you are. So you have then as clear a presentation of sovereign salvation in verses 1 to 10 as anywhere in Scripture, and right against it, you have a clear presentation of human responsibility. And the question that if I don't answer today, you will be asking in every verse is how do these two things fit together? And I think that's true about the book of Ephesians as well. John MacArthur says, I've done questions and answers through the years in every place I've ever gone in the world, and every time there's an open question and answer section, I am asked this question. How can salvation be solely a work of God and me be held responsible for, for believing or not believing? How can those two go together? Wave and particle. Now, I want to say this to you. First of all, most people in doing evangelism would avoid that question altogether, assuming that Christians who have been Christians for a long time don't even like to face that question. I particularly wasn't looking forward to today in broaching this subject. They would do everything they could to keep a non-believer in the dark about it, and they would be doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus is talking to a non-believer and he presents to him the twin parallel truths of divine sovereignty and salvation and human responsibility and he does it at the very beginning of the conversation. This is a work of God, solely, solely a work of God. But you will be held responsible if you do not believe and you are called to believe and eternal life awaits you if you believe. Twin truths running parallel. May I tell you, they will always run parallel. They will always run parallel. They will never come together. They will never intersect. They will never be diminished. Legitimately, they are what they are. The fact that you don't understand how they go together only proves that you're less than you should be. It doesn't say anything about God. Your inability to harmonize those things is a reflection of your fallenness, my fallenness. People ask me all the time, how do you harmonize those? And my answer is, I don't. I can't. They can't be harmonized in the human mind, but realize this, you are a puny mind and so am I. 
and collectively we are puny compared to the infinite, vast, limitless mind of God. All I can tell you is that in the word of God, these truths run parallel, and the answer is to believe them both with all of your heart. And the one divine sovereignty will inform your worship, and the other human responsibility will motivate your evangelism. So how are we to understand these things? Well, we're going to get into the text, and I'm going to show you the condition of unbelief, the condemnation of belief, and the condemnation of unbelief. I'm not going to read all of that today, but we'll leave that for next time. In fact, I guess that's the next sermon. I want to talk about this particular issue, because as I said, if I don't, in every verse you're going to have this dilemma in your mind about how does this work. How could we be saying these things about you must believe if you believe you can be saved and make that square with what we already know about divine sovereignty and salvation? How do those things come together? They don't. I say it again. They are parallel truths. They are both true. I've been around a long time and I've seen every imaginable, every conceivable effort to harmonize those things done by people, well-intentioned people, very gifted people, well-known preachers, theologians, writers, commentators who tried to harmonize it. Anybody who ever tries to harmonize those two things destroys one or the other of them or both of them. You must be content to believe them both. Now, how can I help you deal with that? I can't harmonize it. I can't bring it all together. I can't solve your dilemma. I can't answer the apparent paradox. So what am I left with? I want to make you comfortable with your inability to not get it. Okay? That's my objective. I just want you to be completely happy that you don't get it. <laughs> In fact, I would suggest that not just being completely happy that I don't get it, but getting on my knees before an all-powerful, righteous God who somehow works this out in life, in your life and in mine, and worship Him. I want to be comfortable with the fact that, wow, you just might not understand something. I know that's a big pill to swallow because of human pride, but get over it and be content not to get it. I wish I was saying those words, actually. Now, I want you to understand that when the Bible deals with these things, it doesn't explain itself. It's not self-conscious. You don't read, I know this is really tough to get, <laughs> You don't have caveats. We don't, we don't get caveats like that in Scripture. We don't get underlying statements. We don't have efforts to make explanations. These things are stated in Scripture as parallel realities, and they're never really explained or harmonized because they both exist. And the fact that we can't understand them leaves us with one option, and that is to believe them both and be content with it. Now, I would also say good debate and discussion as iron sharpens iron is good. And that we should continue to try and understand the things of God and what he has in his word. But we also need to realize and remember that we, we're serving an all-powerful, sovereign God. So here's my final takeaway for today. Believe them both and be content with that. 
We've been given every spiritual blessing. Think about that this week. Meditate on that truth. If you are a Christian today, God chose you before the beginning of time. Wow. What a God we have. God chose you before the beginning of time, before creation. That's how much he loves you. And if you're listening today and you can't say that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, why are you waiting? Believe today. Surrender your life to him today. It doesn't have to be some incredible phrase or there's no magical... um, you know, incantation that we have to say. It's, it's a matter of, like Jesus said, do you believe? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that what? Whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. <laughs> Father, I pray that, I, I honestly pray that we continue to wrestle that we continue to search, though you say that, that, that we have in our hands and that the, the fact of the matter is that the riches of Jesus Christ are un, the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. They are such a depth that we could never one day say, I get it all. And Father, I pray that as we continue to study the, the book of Ephesians and, and what you and Paul are communicating to us, Father, that 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 our faith, that our understanding of you would, in fact, grow. That, that we would live our life this week knowing that you have poured out every spiritual blessing unto us. Help us to know what that means and how that applies to our everyday life and the things that we're struggling with and wrestling with even today. And Father, I pray too that there might be someone in this room or, or watching or listening online who says, you know what, today is that day. Today is the day of my salvation. Today, I, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe that you were the Messiah and that you died and rose and that you're sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. Save me. Save me. And now let's stand and let's sing this last song. In Jesus' name, amen.